with me to uh, Matthew 26. Matthew 26, verse 46 is where we left off last week. And, you know, you have to understand, too, that this is the Passover week in Israel and specifically in Judah. It's the Passover week, and it's not, you know, we kind of talked about it a little bit last week, how the, the footprint, geographically speaking, isn't a big space. It's not a large space at all. You know, it's like... Depending on the size of a neighborhood, you can walk on one end of a neighborhood to the other end of the neighborhood if you have like a square neighborhood. And that's what I kind of see here when you look at the 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 size uh, of uh, Mount Zion, you know, in, in the, on the Temple Mount. And you see it's not that huge of a space. And so when you see the Lord going from uh, the Garden of Gethsemane or, you know, when he's there in the upper room first and they cross the Kidron Valley and they go into the Garden of Gethsemane. And then, you know, it's not like they're walking on miles and miles and miles. It's like all within a square mile. It's not that huge. Uh, maybe a, a mile and a half, but it's not that huge of a place. And this is a wild, wild week. And I, no disrespect to the Lord and n not to even diminish it by calling it a wild week. It's a you know, I kind of have to repent in my flesh, too, because, you know, I read these passages and in my flesh, it's like I'm crying out. No, you know, Lord, let this not happen because he's going to die. They're going to kill him. But Peter said the same thing when Peter was like, you know, over my dead body, this isn't going to happen. And the Lord said, get behind me, Satan, because the will of the father was for him to die. And it's like, I don't get that. It's so weird. How could a father want his son, his only begotten son, to die? When you read the prophecy of Isaiah 53, which we did a couple weeks ago, you start to understand like, whoa, this is a beautiful thing in the eyes of the Lord. Remember also, it is written that it is, it is beautiful in the eyes of the Lord, the death of his saints. So even for us, dying, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing in the Lord's eyes. Because it's like, well, we're no longer physically separated from him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And these are things that are only applicable to the Christian. To the Christian. You say, whoa, Jay, that's, that's hardcore. What about all the Buddhists? What about all the Jehovah's Witnesses? What about all the Roman Catholics? What about all these people? And you know what I say? That's why the Lord wants us to be fishers of men. To go and tell these people the good news of Jesus Christ. That he died and that he rose again. That's the good news, the gospel. And when I say this is a wild week, because at the beginning of the week, Jesus Christ is riding on a donkey. On the baby donkey and the mama donkey is right next to him. And he's riding on the colt. You know, on, on the uh, uh, foal of a donkey. And all the people are saying, Hosanna, 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 save now, save now. And uh, several days later, not even a week later, several days later, they're shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. What changed? <clears throat> you know, what about for us today? Where, you know, we worship the Lord one day and then the next day we're getting drunk or, you know, we worship the Lord one day. We're raising our hands to the Lord and worshiping him. And then the very next day, you know, we have a needle in our arm. You know, we go back to the crack pipe, go back to all the sexual adventures. And you read the Bible and it doesn't work that way. 
That's not what the Lord desires for his people. It's to grow and mature. And so, you know, last week we looked at the account of what happened in the garden, in the garden of Gethsemane, when the Lord is telling his disciples, hey, you guys pray. You guys need to watch and pray. And then he comes back and they're sleeping. They're all asleep. And so he says, if we look at verse 45, says, Then he came to his disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. <clears throat> and what's so powerful about this is you see Jesus Christ in obedience to the Father, in obedience to his father, in obedience to our father in heaven. He says, okay, I'm going to go. He knows exactly what's going to happen. Remember, he said, take this cup from me. Oh, father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's in verse 39. The words of our Lord. Knowing what had to happen. It's so powerful to consider what is your will in your life? What is my will in my life? But to take all your thoughts, all your desires, everything you want in life and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to take all those things and throw them in the trash. You know why? Because, Lord, Father, it's your will, not my will. That's some hardcore stuff. It's a piece of cake to speak Christianese. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. You know, even to pray. Yeah, y'all pray for your brother. I'll pray for you, sister. But then you leave, you go home, you close the door of your house and you're all alone. Who are you when nobody is watching? Who are you when nobody's watching? It speaks of integrity. I say when nobody's watching, but you know what? The eyes of the Lord see it all. They see how a husband deals with his wife. They see how a wife deals with her husband. They see what the husband does when nobody's watching. They see the Lord sees what, what the wife is doing when nobody's watching. And that's what I mean when I speak about integrity before the Lord. And in verse 47, you know, like the Lord, like red letters here in my Bible, but, you know, possibly in your Bible too. But the red letters in verse 46, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And in verse 47, and while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, this is quite the interruption, quite the interruption too, because the betrayer is here. He says, behold, Judas, one of the 12, one of the 12. It's so sad because remember, Judas walked with Jesus Christ. Past tense, walked with Jesus Christ. Now look, now look what he, what's happening with Judas. And we're going to see when we get to the book of Acts in Acts chapter one, it says that Judas fell by transgression. What is transgression? I'll tell you how I like to explain transgression. Say you're walking on a path, okay? It's, you're out in the forest or whatever, out in the woods, and you're walking through on a path. And then all of a sudden, you know, you come to this gate and it says, no trespassing. Then you have a choice. 
You know, you look to the left, you look at the right, and this gate goes very long. And your choice is to say, you know what? I'm going to stay on this path where it's okay for me to walk. Or I'm going to turn left where it's still okay for me to walk. I'm going to turn right where it's still okay for me to walk. You put your back to the fence and you look and you see this big, humongous pasture. But then something stirs in your heart. This sign that says no trespassing. I wonder what it would be like if I hopped the fence and checked things out over there. Oh, look at this. Look at this tree over there. It'd be cool if I can climb that tree. Look at that flower over there. It'd be cool if I could smell that flower. I've never seen it before. And this sign that says no trespassing. I hop the fence and then all of a sudden I climb the tree. Wow, this is fun. I go down to the flower. I pick it up, smell it. Wow, this is such a beautiful smell. I like this. And then I jump back over the fence and it's like, wow, nobody saw me. The sign said no trespassing, but nobody saw me. And then the very next day I do it again. And then the next day I do it again. Third day I do it again. I keep doing that. That's what happens when we're disobedient to the Lord. When the Lord has this fence around us, you say, I don't like being fenced in. That's too restrictive. I like my freedom. Yes, we are free in Christ. But then at the same time, remember, Paul says, don't use your freedom in Christ as excuse for vice. Paul says it. Peter says it. Don't use this freedom we have as excuse for sin. Yeah, I'm free in Christ. I'm under grace. But let me go ahead and beat on my wife and cheat on my wife and, you know, stick a needle in my arm and, you know, take the finest meth from Chiapas, Mexico. It doesn't work that way. Peter writes about that. He says, that's like a dog going back to the vomit. When the Lord says, hey, I want you to grow mature in Christ. That's how I see trespassing or transgression. When, you know, we know we ought to stay in the fold of Christ and his pasture and meadow that he has before us. And that's called abiding in Christ. But then what happens when I hop the fence and I do things that I ought not do? I partake of things that I ought not partake in. Or somebody who's on the other side of the fence and says, hey, Jay, come check this out. Look what I have for you. And they dangled it. Remember, Satan's a fisherman too. Satan is a fisher of men. He's a fisher of women, young and old. That's why the Lord teaches us, hey, be wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. Crazy, crazy days we're living in. You don't need me to tell you that. All you got to do is walk down the street. All you have to do is walk down the street. Judas, one of the 12, who fell by transgression, he was playing games with the Lord. One foot in the world and one foot in the church. Walking with the Lord one day and then disobeying him another day. Remember, he was the treasurer. And remember, he talked with the, he joined himself with the, with the Pharisees and the priests. And verse 14 says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? What's in it for me? If I deliver Jesus Christ to you, what do I get out of it? It says, And they counted out to him 
30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. And here in verse 46, the Lord is saying, my betrayer is at hand. That's right, in my flesh. And I'm going to venture to say, probably, maybe, even in your flesh too, you hate these words. You hate these events that are transpiring here today in this passage in Scripture because it's like, well, our Lord is being deceived by one of the twelve. And these are things that had to happen. Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and elders of the people. In verse 4, says that they plotted. These are the chief priests. In verse 3, says the chief priests, the scribes, the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. And these are the people that Judas joined with for 30 pieces of silver. And so Judas joined them. You know, he liked the money. 30 pieces. You know, when we look at our study last week, all the disciples were tired. They fell asleep. It even says, you know, in, uh, in verse 43, and he came and found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy. This is all in the occurrence of one night. You know, dinner that night was in the upper room and we're still in the same night. We're in the wee hours of the evening. And everybody fell asleep. But you know what? You know who else doesn't sleep? Satan. He does not sleep. That's why, you know, the Lord says, hey, stay here and pray. And then in verse 41, he says, like he says in verse 38, he says, stay here and watch with me. And then he says in verse 41, you guys watch and pray. Because the enemy, the Bible teaches that he roams around like a lion waiting for whom he may devour. He wants to kill you. You hear me say all the time, you know, you take a sweet, innocent child. You hold your baby girl. You hold your son. And it's like, wow, I love this little guy. I love this little girl. And like you're holding them and you will die for them. That's how much you love them. But you know what? Satan wants to destroy that little creature you're holding in your hands. That beautiful, beautiful, beautiful little entity Satan wants to kill and rip apart and destroy. But to pray. Because Satan is plotting. And that's what we're seeing here. Turn with me really quick to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, says, There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. I have such a love, like, I'm so in love with Job. So, so, so in love with him. He says, whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright. And one who feared God and shunned evil. These are four attributes that are very beautiful to have. This is a man of the Lord. You know, yeah, he goes through some issues. You know, he kind of has, 
You know, when like all these people later on in the chapter or later on in the book of Job, his friends give him counsel, but it's wrong counsel. It is not godly counsel. And then finally, the Lord has to intervene and have a little one-on-one with Job. But these are four attributes which are beautiful. For, for all the men who may be hearing this message, these are four attributes that are beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. To be blameless, upright, fear God, and shun evil. He says in verse 2, And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. So he has a total of ten kids. Seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Ten kids total. Also, his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east or all the sons of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses each on his appointed day and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So this is, verse 4 illustrates like a, a family gathering. A family gathering of siblings. You know, each would on a appointed day would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So a family of 10, they would go from house to house, spend some time in the brother's house, brother number one, brother number two, brother number three, and they would go and have a meal. Now, I have to say, we're going to read some more, a couple more verses. Actually, one more verse. This is a very, very, very hardcore exhortation. To dads and pastors. Dads and pastors. If anybody who is in earshot of these words, bind these words on your heart. Verse 5 says, So it was when the days of feasting had run their course. So this gathering of the siblings, it's it's over. It's they've they've all all the ten brothers, they've had their family gatherings in their individual houses. It says that Job would send, this is to like send them away and sanctify them. Or it translates as to consecrate them. Consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning. You know what I love about Job? He would rise early in the morning. Nobody would watch. He maybe wake up, you know, kiss, kiss his wife on the cheek and just leave, you know, hey, you know, baby, stay here. You're nice and warm. Go to sleep. And, you know, I'm going to go do some stuff. He would rise early in the morning. No social media posts. You know, these people take their selfies. Oh, look at me. Look how holy I am. I wake up early in the morning. I read my Bible and they take a selfie. Oh, yeah. Look how holy I am. You read the comments. Wow. What a godly man this is. What a nice godly man. He puts his phone away and he starts drinking alcohol. He puts his phone away and he has a needle in his arm. He puts his phone away, or maybe he's on his phone watching pornography. You know, it's off, a lot of things are just for show. The surface. But the Lord doesn't look at the surface. He looks at the heart. He examines the mind. He tests the mind. And this beautiful, beautiful man of God by the name of Job would rise early in the morning. No selfies. And offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. Remember, this is before the law. 
Because there's a law that is written. We haven't got there yet in our studies on Wednesday, but there's a law that says, hey, in the law, you shall offer these burnt offerings unto me. And book, the book of Job is before the law. Remember, the Bible is not written in chronological order. The book of Job here is written before the law was given. And here Job is making offerings unto the Lord. Willingly. The Lord never said, hey, make this offering to me. Job is doing it willingly. And you know why he's doing it? So you see, he has these uh, 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 burnt offerings according to the number of, the mount, uh, of them all. So he has 10 kids. So that means he takes 10 offerings. He wakes up in the morning, kisses his wife on the cheek, stay here, baby. And, you know, gets his offering, 10 of them. And says, you know, I'm going to go way over here and I'm going to make a burnt offering unto the Lord. And here is why. For Job said, it may be. No hard evidence. It may be that my sons, this translates as the young people born unto him. It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Curse God and sinned in or sinned and curse God in their hearts. You know, sinning and cursing God can be internal. Or external. Externally, you see people doing it all the time. Internally, these are things you can't see. But you can see the fruit of it. That's why the Lord says, look at the fruit. Because you might have a guy who speaks Christianese, praise the Lord, hallelujah. But then he goes home at night and he beats on his wife. His wife has this, you know, bloody lip, a black eye, you know, a busted up arm, you know, and you look at the kids, they start limping, they have bruises all over them. Meanwhile, this guy goes to church, sings, says, praise the Lord, hallelujah, lifts up his hands and worships the Lord. But who is he in his heart? He hasn't died. He's playing games with the Lord. He's not dead to the old nature. He hasn't reckoned the old man or old woman dead. It's not to say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm a Christian. Therefore, I'm going to go ahead and go back to my crack pipe. Or therefore, I'm going to go ahead and beat on my wife and cheat on my wife. It doesn't work that way. Reckon the old man dead. That's what Paul says. So you might you have these desires, man, I want to go back to my crack pipe. Yeah, I'm so angry, I want to beat on my wife. Yeah, I'm so angry, I'm going to beat this guy to a bloody pulp. But it's like, no, it doesn't work that way. That's the old nature, the one that died with Christ. Remember, the Lord teaches us that old wine cannot, or old wineskins cannot hold new wine. It can hold it just for a little bit, but because it's an old wineskin, it starts to develop holes and the new wine pours out. It cannot hold the new wine. So you see these people, they're in their, you know, they speak Christianese, praise the Lord, hallelujah, and they're old wineskins. They're still playing games with the Lord. They're still beating on their wives. They got their crack pipe. They're doing their pornography, their sexual adventures. And when the Lord pours new wine, it's no good because it goes right out of the holes. It pours right out. 
But when you're a new wineskin, praise be unto the Lord. Because this new wineskin, the Lord pours the new wine into it. And then all of a sudden, it can now contain the new wine. And the Lord changes your heart. He changes your mind. He does this work inside of your heart, inside of your mind. And then all of a sudden, it starts to... The new wine gets to the very tippy top of the very lip. And then all of a sudden, it starts to pour out for others, to pour into others. That's why the Bible says the Lord does the work in us first and then through us. And I love this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man by the name of Job. Because he says, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This wasn't just a one-time deal. Says, thus Job did regularly. This was a regular thing that Job did interceding for his kids. You say like, why did we read this passage? You know why? Because when you look at the subsequent verses after this, you know what you also see? Satan is plotting. Satan is plotting. Just like Satan is plotting in our passage in, in Matthew. This strong exhortation to dads is to say, hey, intercede for your kids. Intercede for your kids till the, your last dying breath. Because it may be that your kids have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. And a very, very strong exhortation to pastors as well. Intercede for your sheep. It's not really your sheep anyways. It's God's people, God's sheep that he has allowed you to feed and care for. Intercession. You say, why do you make the correlation of, of dads and pastors? I read my Bible and I see dads as pastors of their home. Dads are pastors of their home. You want to see a godly man? You know what I say? Don't even look to the man. Look to the countenance of the wife. Look at the countenance of the kids. Look at the fruit. And it's such a trip because you see here in verses 6 and, you know, and, and this conversation that Satan has in the throne room of the Lord. And, you know, is saying, hey, you know, you protect Job. Satan is plotting. And, you know, this book of Job, you know, you fast forward into Matthew chapter 26. Now go back to Matthew 26. And what do you see? Satan is plotting. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't slumber. So why do we? Why do we? Don't get me wrong. You know, a lot of people, they, you know, they like the feel-good messages. And I like, I like feel-good messages too. But a feel-good message is impossible with sin and transgression. Because I remember a time when I used to go to church in Southern California and my pastor, I would hate everything he said. I said, man, I hate these words that he's saying. I, I want to feel good message. I want to feel good about myself. And then he would say, turn with me to Matthew and he'd name the chapter, the verse and exactly where he was reading. And I would follow along with him like verse by verse, every letter. He read for the New King James Version, so I got a New King James Bible, a New King James Version Bible. And I thought everything he said was exactly what I was reading too. And then I realized my problem is not with this guy that's speaking. 
My problem is with the word of God. And you know, all these times I said, man, I hate this guy who's saying these words. I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. Let's get out of here. I started following the Bible and I started realizing, whoa, my problem is with the word of God. My problem is with Jesus Christ. Because remember, the word became flesh. This problem I have is with Jesus Christ. That's what happens when we play games with God's grace. We start to make excuse for sin. Yeah, I'm under grace. I'm under grace. Therefore, I can do all these things. No, it doesn't work that way. It's to grow and mature. You know, to look at like a five-year-old and say, wow, you know, a five-year-old has told me that he or she wants to be a brain surgeon. Maybe an eight-year-old. And this eight-year-old wants to be a brain surgeon. So you take that little eight-year-old's hand, walk with them to an emergency room of their nearest hospital and put a scalpel in his or her hand and say, okay, go handle business. Start operating on this brain. You know how stupid that would be? That would be the dumbest thing ever. It's dangerous for, it's dangerous for the patient. It's dangerous for the hospital, the medical group, you know, thinking of medical liability. You know, and then all of a sudden, no other patient is going to want to come there anymore because of all this, you know, malpractice. But you take that same eight-year-old child and watch this person, this young little body grow, mature. You know, the voice gets deeper, maybe start shaving. And then they go junior high, high school. And then they go into college and then medical school. Then they do their uh, whatever they call it, you know, when they do their, uh, I forgot what they call it, but they do that. And then finally he becomes a doctor. She becomes a doctor and she's able to practice brain surgery. So it's not to say, hey, you can't do that. It's to say, hey, grow, grow, mature in Christ. So many people want to do this, you know, like this hardcore spiritual warfare, but it's to say, hey, you know what? You need to grow. That's why Paul says to young Timothy, he says, don't choose a novice. Don't use a, a new believer. Take somebody who's seasoned in the Lord, and they're the ones who can do these things in the work of the ministry because they're equipped. They can fight the good fight. They know how to, uh, like, you know, pray against temptation. And when temptation comes, they know to look for the way out. These are people who've been tried and tested, the mature in Christ. Satan never sleeps, you guys. Never, ever sleeps. And the Lord, you know, Judas here in verse 47, remember, he's indwelt by Satan himself. Indwelt by Satan. <clears throat> Luke 22 verse 3 says that Satan is already inside of him. In verse 48, going back to Matthew 26 verse 48. Now his betrayer had given them a sign saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one sees him. This is like he doesn't want to have public betrayal of Jesus Christ. It's a secret betrayal. Outward closeness, outward intimacy with Jesus Christ. To say, yeah, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to approach him and I'm going to kiss him on the cheek. 
you know, I've I've kissed men before on the cheek. It's cultural, you know. I'm Peruvian. That's what we do. You see, like your uncle, you know. You see your cousin you haven't seen for a long time. Kiss on the cheek. You know, left side, right side. Kiss on the cheek. It's intimacy, the family bondage, or the family bond. You know. And with such a trip, it's like you know, Judah. It's like it makes me kind of angry because he doesn't want to say like you know, arrest him. He just wants to play the game and say, "Look how close I am with Jesus Christ. I'm gonna walk up to him and I'm gonna give him a, give him a kiss on the cheek." And all the disciples were like, "Wow, you know, here's Judas. We haven't seen you in a while. Where have you been, Judas?" But he's been conspiring with these uh, with Caiaphas and the religious leaders, and he tells them, "This guy who I kiss." He is the one. He is the one you have to arrest. Outwardly, he has intimacy with Christ, but inwardly, he's satanic, indwelt by Satan himself. Is this, you see, like, this is, this is a little too hardcore. But there's no other way to live. You're right. This is hardcore truths. But there's no other way to live. The stakes are very, very high. This is a fulfillment of prophecy in Psalm 41, verse 9. This betrayal. Immediately he went up to Jesus and said, Greetings, Rabbi. Greetings, Rabbi. Remember, Rabbi is, you know, the word for teacher. He calls him teacher. And we looked at that a couple weeks ago when all the disciples in verse 22, they said, Lord, is it I? And then in verse 25, Judas said, Rabbi, is it I? 11 of the 12 called Jesus Christ Lord. Judas called him Rabbi, teacher. You say, okay, I get that. No big deal. No, it is a big deal. Because a lot of people acknowledge Jesus Christ as a teacher. And yes, he is a teacher. He teaches us. We read his word. The word became flesh. But then something else happens. When you no longer call Jesus Christ teacher and say, you know what? You are Lord. You are God. It's something that Judas never uttered. He never referred to Jesus Christ as Lord. And you know what really blows me away? You know, if I'm going to call Jesus Christ Lord and beat on my wife and cheat on my wife and stick a needle in my arm and do all these things, snort lines and do all these crazy things, I can never call Jesus Christ Lord. Because my own life, my own character, my own witness, it testifies of that incongruity. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. I can no longer call Jesus Christ Lord if that's the case. Because, you know, if I'm going to call Jesus Christ Lord, he's Lord of all. He's Lord of my life, Lord of this fellowship, Lord of my marriage, Lord of everything. That's if I call Jesus Christ Lord. And I don't say this like, man, you know, that's pretty hardcore. I don't say this to say like, yeah, it's hardcore. I mean, I kind of do. But I say it as an exhortation to all the hearers. Because so many times people say, yeah, you know, I go to church. I heard a good, good message. But you know what? It's, it's happy hour tonight. And I'm going to go here. Come join me. Let's go get drunk. No, that, you know, I'm not going to go back to the vomit. 
No, come over to my house. Let's have a Bible study. Let's read the Bible and be changed and transformed by renewing of our minds and study the word of God and keep getting new wine into this new wineskin. Don't go back to the wine of the world. So as much as Satan is a fisher of men, that's why the Lord says, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. All these things that want to pull us into the world, all this, these things that want to pull us away from Jesus Christ. But when we stand firmly on the rock of salvation, I'm speaking of Jesus Christ, we have a fishing line. And it's just, we can turn the tables around. We can be fishers of men, fishers of women, young and old. This is a very, very, very sinister plot. Greetings, Rabbi. And he says in verse 48, and kissed him. Unknown to the disciples. At this particular time, it's unknown to the disciples. But something happens. We're going to see it later on. How the disciples, they start to make recollection of these events. They start to make recollection of the things that Jesus Christ told them. And they're emboldened. And then Jesus Christ tells them, go over and wait over here. And the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then you see in Acts chapter 2, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And these guys, these beautiful, this church, it just blows up. Because they're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus Christ says, when I go away, I'm going to send you the Helper. Capital H, speaking of the Holy Spirit. You think, okay, I want to be a Christian. What do I do? What do I not do? Do this, do this. If you do it without the Holy Spirit, you're going to fail. You might be able to do it for a week, two weeks, two months. Hardcore, you might be able to go three months. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to fail. That's why the Lord says, you know, receive the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's how we're able to live the Christian life. It's how we're able to discern scripture because the Bible is spiritually discerned. It's supernatural. I can't explain it. I can't describe it. And so look what happens here in verse 50. But Jesus said to him, friend, why have you come? This plot was totally, totally known to Christ. Completely known to Christ. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. They took him. You know, remember verse 39. Verse 39, red letters says, oh, my father, if it is possible. Remember, Jesus Christ is alone. He took the, he took the, the 11 disciples and then he says, you guys wait here. And then he takes three and says, okay, walk with me over here a little bit further and you guys stay here. And this three is Peter, James, and John. That's in verse 37. And then Jesus Christ says, okay, you guys in verse 38, stay here and watch with me. And then he goes on in verse 39. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Let this cup pass for me. I mean, imagine, no, I, mean, I don't mean to sound disrespectful to the Lord in any way, shape, or form. Or even blasphemous. But if you were in a life or death situation where you knew that, you know, if you stood in one place for 20 minutes, I mean, and if you left there in 10 minutes, you could stay alive. You'll be alive. Or if you stayed 15 minutes, you might be alive. 
But for sure, if you stay there 20 minutes, they're going to catch you and you're going to be dead. Who among us will say, you know, I mean, we'd all say, let this cup pass from me. But then who among us would say, not as I will, but as you will. That's what's so powerful about Jesus Christ. He teaches us denial of self. To take all my desires, all your desires, all my thoughts, all your thoughts, everything that's in my mind, everything that's in your mind, and say, you know what? I'm throwing it in the trash can, not as I will, but as you will, Father. That's some hardcore stuff. That's what I love about Jesus Christ is because, you know, it's not to just say like, hey, I'm going to walk this narrow path. It's not just like that. But to know that, you know, he's right there with us. He's walking with us. He's walking with you. All these hard decisions, you know, you're being pulled left, you're being pulled right. It's like, what do I do? Pray. Verse 41, watch and pray. Watch and pray. In verse 42, he says, oh, my father, red letters, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Total and complete denial of his will unto the Father's will. Your will be done. And then in, in verse 44 says, So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time. So you know what? It's not just one, the first time, the second time. Three times. And you know what's happening? The cup is not passing so he says, okay, your will be done, Father. That's what happens in verse 15. Then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And suddenly, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword, struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Cut off his ear. In... Um, John uh, chapter 18, verse 10 it is revealed that this is Peter. Peter. It's also revealed that it's the high priest servant who had his ear cut off. Malchus is his name. Peter like took out his sword, busted out his sword. I'm going to venture to say that, you know, in my carnal nature, I'm kind of applauding Peter. Because you have so much love for the Messiah. The son of David. Son of God. And then all of a sudden, these people come to arrest him. And it's like, no, over my dead body. Over my dead body, this isn't going to happen. But you know what blows me away is what the Lord tells him. The Lord tells him, you know, it's also revealed in Luke chapter 22, verse 51, that this servant of the high priest had his right ear cut off. And it's also revealed that Jesus Christ healed him right there on the spot. <clears throat> servant of the high priest, Caiaphas, although the real high priest healed him. And when you say, what do you mean the real high priest? All you got to do is read Hebrews chapter 5. The real high priest in the order of Melchizedek is Jesus Christ. Look what, what Jesus Christ says to Peter. He says in verse 52, but Jesus said to him, put your sword in its place. 
for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. All who take the sword will perish by the sword. In my flesh, I don't like these words. I don't like these words. You know what? I, I read these words in verse 52, and you know how I see them? I see them as stand-down orders. Put your weapon down. Put your sword in its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. And you know what's so... For me, I don't know if it's the same for you. But... Like, if you've ever gotten a fight with somebody... You know that you, it's, it's such a rush. I can't describe it. The blood is pumping. You can almost feel your heart in your, in your chest. Just like you can feel it. And then all of a sudden you feel the adrenaline rush. You get hit in the face. You get hit in the stomach. And it's like even more adrenaline. And it's just like total violence. You know, your knuckles split open. And you're just handling business. But precursor to this moment where Peter busted out his sword. Don't forget what the Lord told him in verse, in verse 38. He says, stay here and watch with me. In verse 41, he says, hey, you know what? Stay here, watch and pray. You say, wow, why are you even bringing this up? Because if you do have this violent nature, what about precursor to violent nature? What happens? I mean, in, a, in an applicational sense, you know, sometimes I get road rage. It's a lot of times because, you know, I'm so busy. You know, it's like I'm saying an email. It's like making a phone call. It's like, yeah, I still got time. You know, oh, I got 10 minutes left. I got to, you know, you know, draft something, you know. Five minutes. Yeah, I can do it. And here I am typing away. It's like, okay, boom, I got to go get in my car and I'm flying. Old lady comes in front of me and he's going five miles an hour. It's like, oh, so full of road rage. But why not hit the rewind button in my life? And instead of having this road rage where I might not be convict, uh, committing violence. But in my mind, in my heart, I'm murdering this old lady in my heart. And the Lord says that is sin. That is sin. Why not say, you know what? 20 minutes ago, 30 minutes ago, when I thought I had all the time in the world, just stop what you're doing right there and just leave. And, you know, drive five miles an hour with the old lady and be at peace. That's what's so powerful about these words here. The Lord says, put your sword in its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. But there's certain things to say like, hey, you can avoid a fight. It's totally okay to avoid a fight. Why are you going to put yourself in a situation where you're going to have to, you know, slice your knuckles open? You're not thinking good things when you're, you know, you're, it, it's not good. In the temple of the Lord. Remember, the temple of the Lord is a holy place. Very, very holy. You say, what are you talking about the temple of the Lord? I'm speaking about your body, your mind, your heart. And the Lord calls us to be wise as serpents and peaceful as doves. You know, and to pray unto the Lord. It's part of the process of how we die. 
Die to the carnal self and carry your cross. Remember, the cross is an instrument of death. I mean, if the instrument of death is by firing squad, I'll put it in another sense too, and not to deviate away from Holy Scripture, but what if, for example, if, you know, somebody says, oh, you know, you're going to die by a firing squad and there's 20 guys with 20 rifles. And you say, okay, 20 guys say, you know, nice to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you, sir. Let me carry your rifles for you so you don't have to walk with them this far. I'll carry your rifles for you. You carry all these, you know, 20 rifles and you, you know, you swing them over your shoulder and you just hump them up the hill. And then you get up to the top of the hill, you give them your rifle, you give them their rifles. And then you walk to, you know, where the pit where you're going to be shot. And it's like, okay, I'm ready to go. You say like, man, that guy is so weak. I don't get it. He's not even going to fight. My flesh hates even saying, uttering these words. But to be peaceful as doves. Peaceful as doves. And we're going to study that more in the book of Acts, especially when we get on uh, uh, Stephen, the first martyr in the Bible. And so in verse 53... Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? A Roman legion is 5,000 men. One legion, 5,000 men. And the Lord is speaking about 60,000 angels. You know how hardcore that is? Especially when you read in Isaiah and you read about... um, Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a king, king of Judah, a godly king. He loved the Lord. He feared the Lord. And he restored Judah because, you know, the previous kings were uh, uh, worshiping other gods. And, you know, the kingdom of uh, the Assyrians, they were coming up to the gates of Judah and the kingdom. And he was worried. He was kind of like tripping out like, well, these are the Assyrians. They're going to kill us. And then all of a sudden, there's a little knock at the door, you know, and, you know, the servant opens the door. And who is it? It's uh, uh, Isaiah, a prophet of God. Isaiah says, okay, nice to meet you. Can I, can you take me to the king? I have a message from the Lord for him. And so Hezekiah is kind of worried, like, man, you know, these, this is a very, very powerful army. And then all of a sudden, somebody knocks on his door, his his inner door. Yeah, what is it? Oh, uh, Isaiah the prophet is here to see you. He says he has a message from the Lord. Like, what? Well, I've been praying to the Lord. Send him in. Let me hear what he has to say. Then they meet, you know, they do their greetings. Isaiah, what prophet of the Lord, what is it? Thus saith the Lord, go to sleep. I'm paraphrasing. But thus saith the Lord, go to sleep. And it's like, okay, the prophet of the Lord is saying this. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go to sleep. And Hezekiah goes to sleep. He wakes up in the morning. He goes to the top of the building. He looks out and he sees all, every single one of the Assyrian army is dead. Dead. By the hand of one angel of the Lord. One angel of the Lord. 
And the Lord Jesus Christ is saying here, Do you not think that I cannot now pray to my Father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? And one legion is 5,000 times 12, 60,000 angels. That's what I'm talking about. It's not just to say, Lord, not my will, thy will. It's not just that. I mean, there's that, which is beautiful. But do you not realize who you're putting your heart into? I mean, like, if you take your heart out of your chest and you just lay it on the book, the pages of Holy Scripture, that's the best place for your heart. The absolute best place for your heart. Parents, it's the best place for your heart. It's the best place for your marriage. It's the best place for your kids. To teach your kids and say, wow, you know what? You have to have the Lord in your life. I mean, you can't command it, you know, but your kids can see it. Wow, you know, my mom and dad, they're going through issues. But you know what? I see them fall on their faces before the Lord and cry out to him. Mom's going through this. Dad's going through this. And by witness, they're seeing it with their own eyes. Wow, mama prays to the Lord. Papa is praying to the Lord. And it's like, whoa, what happens when that little child has hard problems, difficult problems? That you're going to know nothing about. I mean, talking with a 13-year-old girl, a 13-year-old boy, parents know nothing what's going on in their life. I mean, they might know a little bit. But, I mean, I remember when I was 13, you know, my parents didn't know what I was getting involved with. And I'm going to venture to say it's the same for you, too. But a 13-year-old could say, man, I'm going through these problems at school. I don't know what to do, but you know what? I see my mama, and she does it. I see my papa, and he cries out to the Lord. I'm going to do it too. And when a young child reads these words, do you not think, do you not think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide, provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? It's not just to say, you know, Lord, your will be done in my life, but it's to say, Lord, your will be done in my life. But then at the same time, you're going to protect me. You're going to guide me. You're going to lead me. And if it should be that I have my head cut off, Praise be to the Lord, because I'm going to be with you. I look forward to dying now. It's not to say, hey, jump off a bridge. It's to say, there's no fear in death. Oh, Hades, where is your sting? Thus fulfills Holy Scripture. Verse 54, how then could the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Scripture has to be fulfilled. That's why the Lord says, thy will and not mine. In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, have you come out against, the ro against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you did not seize me? You know, the religious leaders, they were posers. They were actors, hypocrites. Remember in Matthew 23, all the times when Jesus called them hypocrites. He said, if you turn with me to Matthew 23, he says in verse 3, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, he's speaking to the multitudes of people. 
and speaking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And he tells the people, therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. These people were hypocrites. Hypocrites. It says in verse 5, but all their works they do to be seen by men. They like it. They like to be seen like, wow, look how holy I am. They take their selfies. Wow, look at my selfie. I have my Bible and I'm going to have a nice smile. Oh, I don't like the first picture. I don't like the 10th picture. I don't like the 30th picture, you know. But here, the 50th picture, I look skinny, you know. I look, you know, like this actor, you know, or I got my makeup right or whatever. And they take their picture. Look how holy I am. You see how awesome I am? They get all these likes. Fools. Fools, idiots. They do all their works to be seen by men. Or you see the little, you know, you're scrolling up and you see the little video where somebody, you know, gives a homeless person a hamburger. It's all to be seen by men. Turn off the camera. Will you still do that? I'm not saying it's not good to, you know, help the homeless, feed the homeless. But who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for the accolades of men? All these people, they're posers, they're actors. Verse 13, still in Matthew 23, verse 13. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Hypocrites is the word for actors. They're playing a role. Verse 14, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 16, woe to you, blind guides. Verse 17, fools and blind. 19, fools and blind. Or 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 24, blind guides. 25, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 26, blind Pharisee. 27, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 19, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Verse 33, serpents. Serpents. You're a brood of vipers. Snakes, you are the offspring of poisonous snakes. The offspring of poisonous snakes. And the Lord is telling the people, don't listen to these people. Do not listen to these hypocrites. You know what people do today? Listen to the hypocrites. Listen to the actors. Listen to the posers. In verse 37, in chapter 23, the Lord says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the, ones, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You were not willing. If I were a Calvinist, if I were into Reformed theology, how can this be explained? Oh, God ordained this to happen. God in his sovereignty, he ordained this to happen. He predestined this to happen. And you see the will of the Lord. He says, how I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. This is Calvinism. Reformed theology. But yet. The truth of God's holy word speaks loud and clear, loud and clear. 
This is hardcore stuff because going back to Matthew 26 in verse 52, the Lord is saying, I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you did not seize me because the Pharisees, they feared the people. They feared the people over God. It's not a good thing when you fear people over God. The closer and closer and closer your walk is with the Lord, the more people will hate you. It's a fact. But the Lord says, hey, remember that they hated me first. Jesus Christ is about to be killed. That's the danger of fearing people over fear of the Lord. But when you fear the Lord and you don't fear people, people can talk all kinds of mess. Oh, you're so stupid. You're this, you're that. But you fear the Lord and you're just teaching his word or you're going through, you're living out the Christian lifestyle as the Lord teaches you. And it's like, you know, your friends say, oh, you know, let's go to the strip club. You say, no way. I'm not going to, that was my old self. I'm not going to partake in that anymore. Hey, you walk with me. You come to church with me on Wednesday. You come to church with me on Sunday. You flip it around. And you become a winner of souls. But what happens when you fear people? Oh, come with me to the strip club. Oh, no, I can't. I'm a Christian. I have to go to church. What? You believe in those fairy tales? You're so stupid. People start laughing at you. It's like, man, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to feel this way. My friends are making fun of me. Okay, I'll go with you guys to the strip club. You see? But who's going to say, no way. I'm not doing that. I'm not playing around with that garbage. You come over here with me. It's not good to be a, a man pleaser. It's very beautiful in the eyes of the Lord to please him and him alone. He says in verse 56, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. All the disciples forsook him and fled. Isaiah 53 verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus Christ was all alone. In your own private studies, in your own private studies, read John chapter 6 and read it slowly and as you're reading john chapter 6 slowly count the number of people count the number of people because the chapter starts with a multitude of people thousands and thousands of people five thousand you say like whoa five thousand people are following jesus christ that is awesome and yeah it is Jesus Christ just got done feeding the multitudes and 5,000 people are following him. And then something happens where he stops, he turns to them and he says, you guys aren't following me because of truth. You're following me because your bellies are full. You like the food. You like the stuff. You like, I'll put it in, in 
terms that we have today. You know, that's the difference of liking the presence of God as opposed to the presence of the Lord. Two different things. So in the very beginning, there's five, like thousands of people. And the Lord stops and says, you guys aren't following me for the truth. You're following me because you like the goodies. You like the fish. You like the loaves. You like your bellies to be nice and full. You like the bread I have. But you know what? You're not hearing truth. And then the 5,000 become less and less and less and less. All the way to hundreds of people. Now the disciples, which are, you know, about a hundred, you know, over a hundred. The disciples, people who are, you know, denied things and are following Jesus. And then he tells even more truth to these hundreds of people. And then they said, you know what? We can't take this anymore. I, I, I don't like what, these, what, what the Lord has to say. I'll just read it in verse John chapter 6, verse 66 says, From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. They stopped walking with the Lord. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? It's such a trip. Because chap John chapter 6 starts off with thousands and thousands of people, becomes, you know, hundreds of people, and then becomes 12. And then here when Judas left the upper room, the 12 become 11. But then here in verse 56, the 11 become zero. The 11 become zero. In verse 56, but all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Thousands become hundreds, become 12, become 11, become zero. Jesus Christ is all alone like a lamb ready for slaughter. Fulfilling holy scripture. And you read the prophecy of Isaiah 53, and he says it was pleasing to the Father. And you're like, how could this be pleasing? I'll tell you how it can be pleasing. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. That's how it's pleasing to the Father. And when you look in the mirror, the very person you see in that mirror is the very, very person that the Lord wants to have a one-on-one -on -one love relationship with. That's why it was pleasing to the Father. To purchase your soul. Because remember, the wages of sin is death. Death. The, that law is not over. The wages of sin is death. You read the, 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 the law... And life is in the blood. And you read the, 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 the penalties of the law. Life for life. And belief in Jesus Christ. By faith. Belief in Jesus Christ. It's a transfer. It's to say the penalty for my sin. The penalty for your sin. Is now placed on Jesus Christ. Life for life. Blood for blood. It's supernatural. So you say. How could this be pleasing to the Father? Look in the mirror. 
That's why it's pleasing. Verse 57. And those who had laid hold of Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Remember verse 3. This is Caiaphas's house. But in verse 3 says they plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. They're already breaking the law because they're plotting by trickery. That's what we read you know, a couple Wednesdays ago in Exodus. They're breaking the law. What a night this is. What a I don't have words for it, but just what an incredible, incredible night this is. Dinner that night was in the upper room. And the disciples, you read John, uh, it starts in 13, but when you read John 13 to John 17, it's like, whoa. Because they have a meal, the Passover meal. Our Lord washes their, their feet. He prays for the disciples. He also prays for you and he prays for me. You say like, what? What are you talking about? He prays for you and me. I'll tell you. In John 17, verse 20 says, I do not. He's praying to the Lord. He's praying to our father in heaven. He says in verse 17. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. That's what I'm talking about. Like. The truth of Holy Scripture, it's, you know, I love feel-good messages because it makes me feel good. But you know what? If it's not truth, I don't want it. Because when you read the truth of Holy Scripture, I guarantee you, you're going to feel kind of weird in your heart of hearts. You're going to feel kind of weird like, whoa, that's too convicting. I don't like these words. You know what happens in those moments? That's the Holy Spirit desiring to change your heart. All you have to do is let him. Because if you start to read the Bible and you say, well, I don't like this. I don't like this. Or I'm not going to read this book. It's too convicting. You know, I like my crack pipe. You know, I like beating on my wife. I like cheating on my wife. I'm not going to read these passages. I'm just going to read the feel good messages. No, it doesn't work that way. Don't call Jesus Christ Lord if that's the case. Because he's Lord of all. But if you call Jesus Christ Lord... Read the entirety of his word. The word became flesh. Read the entirety of his love letter that he has for you because he wants to change your heart and change your mind because you are the bride of Christ. There is going to be a marriage supper one day and the actual marriage unto our Lord. That's what's so powerful about truth. When you come to a verse or a chapter or a book that really, really confronts you, you yield to him. Instead of the other way around where you make scripture yield to your will, it doesn't work that way. People have tried, people have failed. But you yield to him and say, Lord, Father, thy will, not my will. And he says in verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Everybody always says church unity, church unity, church unity. I'm all for unity, but unity in truth. Somebody who starts teaching, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and, you know, look, there's this, you know, transvestite pastor, which the Baptists are now doing. Yeah, there's this, you know, a girl who was born a girl and now she thinks she's a man and now she's an ordained minister. Yeah, she'll be my pastor. You read the Bible. That's not good. That person needs to repent. 
But nobody likes to say that. Man pleasers. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. And here's a cameo for the believer today. Here's your cameo in Holy Scripture. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. You see how powerful that is? That they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be one in us. That the world may believe that you sent me. That's what I mean when I say, hey, you know what? Your little cameo in the Bible. So in closing, going back to Matthew 26. Speaking about what an incredible, incredible night this is. Because at dinner, they were in the upper room. And then after dinner, they walk, they cross the Kidron Valley. They go, they walk outside, they cross the Kidron Valley. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus Christ prays. The disciples fall asleep. And it happened a third time. And then boom, Judas indwelt by Satan. Only two people in the Bible are indwelt by Satan. The first one is Judas. And there's another one who's coming. And the Bible calls him the Antichrist, the son of perdition. Those are the only two people who are indwelt by Satan. Judas and the Antichrist. The Antichrist is coming. The events of the last days, they will come to pass. I mean, like all these, you read Genesis. All these things that have come to pass up until today, up until this point. You think the Lord is going to stop? No. The events of the last days will come to pass. It will be history. At some point in time, it will become history. I found this on the web. It's not to say that I'm going to take advantage of God's grace and live my life the way I want to. It's to say, no, Father, my, not my will, thy will. And so look what happens here. In verse 58, but Peter followed him at a distance to the high priest's courtyard, and he went in and sat with the servants to see the end. All the disciples forsook Jesus, and Peter follows at a distance. And you know, Peter right here is about to deny Jesus Christ. Remember in verse 33, he says, I will never stumble. I will never stumble. And here he is. They've all denied. They've all forsook Christ. Christ, And Peter is about to deny him three times. And so we're going to end our study here. And it's not to say like, man, this is kind of like a weird place to stop. But to be encouraged. I mean, I have to tell you in my flesh, I don't like these words. It's like. I mean, I love these words in my spirit, but it's like, it's hard. But to understand that it was pleasing to the Father. Why? Because of the very person you see in the mirror. That's why. And the very little ones that you behold every day. That's why. 
You go out on the street, you go to the grocery store, you see that person, you know, at the cash register or whatever. That's the old school. I'm kind of aging myself, you know, the old school. <laughs> it's a little too old. <laughs> That's why. Because of that person. The old lady who cut you off and is driving five miles an hour that in your mind you're murdering. That's why. The Lord calls us to be fishers of men, fishers of women, young and old. But before that day can come where you're actually a fisher of souls, a winner of souls, is to say, hey, be like Mary. Don't be like Martha. Be like Mary and sit at the feet of Jesus and learn. Because it's treacherous waters. People are involved in all kinds of crazy things. And if you're not firmly, you know, if firm foundation is not in the world, you know what? Satan's a fisherman too. He's going to rip you out and like, take you back into the drugs, take you back into the sex, take you back into alcohol. But when you're firmly plant, plant, planted on firm, solid foundation, it's like, let's handle business. So we're going to end our study here.